0: well good morning church another week and we're waiting it out here for the uh, next step in what we're going to be doing as a church this will never change we'll always be together going through the word asking the holy spirit to speak to our hearts and and feed us because we're hungry and the word of god is living and powerful we know it's a seed we know it's the manna. It's the meat, it's the milk, all those things. So I hope today as as we get into a new series, Uncertainty, perfect title for all that we're going through, that the Lord will bless and take these things and minister to our hearts as only he can, really uniquely with each one of us. God has something he wants to speak to us, and if we're in the word, he will always speak to us. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 28. We're going to be taking Genesis 28 through chapter 36 and looking at the faith of Jacob, and we've titled it, uncertainty. So in Genesis 28 and verse 1, then Isaac, that is Jacob's father, called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother, so Jacob's uncle. May God almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of people. And give you the blessing of Abraham. So Jacob is pass, uh, Isaac is passing out to Jacob now the promises of, of, uh, that God gave to Abraham, his grandfather. That you, would be, yeah, that you may be an assembly of people and give you the blessings of Abraham. To you and your descendants with you. That you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger. Which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Padan Aram. To Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now in verse 10, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He's on his way. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he, la- he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. I'd like to pray, but before I do, I, I want to offer a prayer this morning and uh, for David Lopez. Now, David, has he has had lung cancer, battling it for a couple of years now. His wife, Tori, and he have been married for five years, and he is 32 in June. He's a young, godly man. And so God... Actually, in another very tragic, God turned David's life around when his father was murdered. That was about six years ago. So he is battling cancer. They have a two-year-old son. His name's Daniel. So many of you know his mother, Mary. Many of you know his his brother, Johnny. So would you join me? I want to pray for him this morning. And then I want to also encourage you, tomorrow, Monday, we're going to be taking that day to specifically lift our prayers up all day for David, for Tori, for Daniel, and for their family. And so I'm, I'm... I'm asking you to do that tomorrow, Monday, just to set it aside. And if you can fast a meal or two, that would be fantastic that we storm the gates of heaven, asking God to heal David and raise him up. And certainly he can do that. So, Lord, we do. We, we bring David before you, Tori. We bring Daniel, Lord, this little family, young family, young people. And, Lord, we don't know the wise many times, but we know you who is good, gracious, merciful. And you, Lord, are, are wanting us to pray and ask you. So our request is that you would take and heal David. Heal his body from this cancer, however you want to do that, Lord. Give him a long, prosperous life here. And I know that's what he would like, but Lord, we also know, I know he's very tired right now, been a long haul. So please, Lord, heal him and raise him up. And also, Lord, as we're getting into the word now, please bless it as we talk about uncertainty and how much uncertainty there is right now. So we're asking, Lord, your blessing over the word In Jesus' name, amen. Well, someone said the presence of a problem does not mean the absence of his presence. I love that. My friend said to me one time, do not forget in the darkness what you saw in the light. So we're going to begin a new series this morning, Uncertainty, the Faith of Jacob, God, with God, there is no uncertainty. So I say, if there's no uncertainty with God, how is that for our uncertainty? If there's no uncertainty with God, that God knows what he's doing, then that should for us. Our faith in God enables us to embrace and actually enjoy uncertainty. And I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing that even in all the uncertainties, we have a God who is in no way uncertain. So faith isn't a feeling. It's a choice to trust God even when the road ahead seems uncertain, unquote. So as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can decisively trust God. We can intentionally trust God. We can say, I'm going to trust the Lord because that is exactly who he is for us to be able to trust him. We can do that. First Peter said, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. How certain is that? Very certain. God loves you. So to decide to trust God, as we talk about the area of faith, to decide to trust God becomes an exciting exercising of the substance of my faith. So we read in Joshua, have not I commanded you? This is interesting. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We're talking this morning about coming to a certain place, which happened to Jacob, if in the unknown I will confess that I don't know <laughs> and seek God who does know, it gets exciting when I can say, you know what, I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going to seek to find out what he wants me to do. It's like zero expectations on me and all my anticipation on God. Zero expectation from my from me, but all of my anticipation becomes put in God. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose even in all these, these things we're going through. To, and one of those things that he's doing through it is to maybe conquer, if you will, our uncertainties in him, in him. So is that not what our faith is all about? Hebrews, or 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him, whose hearts are turned to him. The adventure may, will include difficulty, uncertainty, even a lot of pain. That is what sin has done, not God. But God works in the midst of all that. And so sin and all the devices of Satan are not the final end of things. They don't have the final say. God has the final say. So Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, here it is, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. That's chapter 10. Chapter 11, next verse. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So as you look at the book of Hebrews, and that, that chapter 11 is the Hall of Faith, it's called. As you look at that, what, what we're seeing are examples of those who were not certain about what was coming up, but they believed God's promise. They had substance in their faith in God who had told them many things, but they didn't see it yet. Many of them were uncertain. In fact, Abraham, it says, went out not knowing where he was going. Now, that's pretty uncertain. Now, the same thing is true with Jacob. Jacob is going out in this, as we start his life, he's going out not knowing what's going to be happening. He knows he's heading toward his uncle Laban's place, but he's out there going. Now, as you look at, at chapter 28, this word place comes up six times. I want to point that out because we we're looking at coming to a, certain pl- a place of certainty. Or we might say, what do we doing in the uncertainty? In verse 11, three times, he came to a certain place he took one of the stones of that place and he lay down in that, in that place to sleep. Verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place. How awesome is this place. And then it says, he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. So three things to outline the chapter. Number one, how Jacob came to a certain place. Secondly, who is with Jacob in this place? And then third, what Jacob called that place. So Jacob escapes from Esau, who's wanting to kill him. Esau then, we read in, in, in this chapter, marries Mahalath, which was not very pleasing to his mom and dad. And then Jacob comes to his place in the rest of the chapter of a vow he made at Bethel to God. So in verse 10, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Verse 11. And I hope you have your Bibles and you can follow along. So he came to a certain place, Stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place, put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Now, I don't think the stone was his pillow. I believe that's what they did to protect themselves. But if it was a pillow, okay, hard nap. <laughs> now, he's on, the first, he's on the first three days of a 500-mile trek. Jacob is tired. It's dark. It's late. So Jacob comes to this, what's called a certain place. He thought it was a good place to, 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 to lay down and get some sleep. All the while, Jacob has little idea of what lays ahead. In fact, it's all uncertainty that he's facing. And su- such great uncertainty in his life, that's what's going on for Jacob right now. Now, how many of you have, looking forward, so much uncertainty? I believe in some respects we all do. We're in an uncertain time. And he's leaving everything that he has known. To make this trek into the great unknown. And I'll tell you, this this coronavirus has launched us all into the unknown. What are we doing? How are we going to do it? So there are a million and one ways that God, that we wind up where we do. Now think, just a little ponder back in your life. How many times do you look back and realize, wow, how did I get here? Or do you ask yourself that? We wind up somewhere through a million and one different circumstances. For Jacob, it was not the best of circumstances. And for many of us, when we look at how God's moved us, how our lives have changed, many times it's not because of the good circumstances. Sometimes it happens to some of us in ways that we would rather it never happen. But God allowed that in our lives. So as Jacob, for Jacob, it was self-preservation. His brother was going to kill him. So his mom and dad said, get out of here. So he's, uh, that's one of the reasons. Also, and a great reason, he's looking for a wife. That's what's going on. He's going out now to pad in ram, to his uncle Laban's, to look for a wife. My own personal experience, and I've shared this a little bit before, when I was 21 years old, I left New York, where I was born and raised, and I started out to go to a place that I didn't know where I was gonna land up. I just knew that I didn't want to wind up be a salesman in New York, Rockland County, New York for the rest of my life. So I packed my VW Bug, I put everything I had in it and I headed out I wound up in Salt Lake City. A friend of mine was there. I wound up staying there for one whole year. None of this was planned. In fact, I was footloose and fancy free hippie. I was just going to see. And so I wound up in Salt Lake City for a year. And it was there, actually, that I learned how to build houses, which would be my trade for many, many years to follow. Now, I wasn't planning that, but that's what happened. Even in my high state, (laughs) my high, um, you know, like Jackson. Brown, one of my favorites at that point, he said, I was running on empty. I was running blind, and that's what it was like. I was just footloose and fancy free. Now, it's interesting to me, as you look at these chapters in Jacob's life, 71 times in these just eight chapters, nine times per chapter, the word then, we read it, then, then, and I would would say, not one of us knows what's going to happen at the next then. Then this happened. And look back at your life. Look at what's happened. And things happen and things move us along. And I want to look next, we're going to look at in our next study, we're, they're, they're, we're there for a certain time. And why do we wind up where we do? We're going to look at that in our next study. But for this one here, we don't know. We live in uncertainty. And the next then, we have no idea what's after that. Now, Pastor John shared a message on insecurity, which I thought was fantastic. And he used this scripture in James, which is a really good one to fit here also. James says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, I love this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, the first thing, I will live. <laughs> I mean, my breath is in his hands. Your breath is in God's hands. So if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So James is pointing out really the fallacy of saying, I know what's going to happen, of filling in then this happened. So I want to plan out my life as I would determine. And what I've found the truth is that life pans out as God has determined. The providence of God working in our lives. Proverbs 16, 9 says this. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Jeremiah 10, "O oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. That's what we want to talk about today. Coming to a certain place now, I don't know what the future holds. Ralph Abernathy said this. I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. Can you say amen? Uh, then I do know, this is for me, I do know that only in knowing him through the gospel, through, at the cross, is there lasting peace in his forgiveness. Do you have that today? Complete assurance by his grace. Do you have that today? There's a sure hope because of his perfect love. Do you know the perfect love and peace that God has? You see, in all the uncertainty, that's what Bethel is, represent, is pointing out to us in Jacob's life. It was a time when God met him and changed his life forever. So who's with Jacob in this place? Look at verse 12. Then he dreamed, of, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there, there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. This is in Genesis again. Chapter 28, verse 13 now. And behold, the Lord stood above it. Now, so you have this ladder. The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. Now, he's reiterating to Jacob what he had promised to his father Abraham. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Just what God told Abraham. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 15, behold, I am with you. Oh, how we need to take that to heart. I am with you and will keep you. We need to take that to heart. Wherever you go, and will bring you back to the land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Who is with Jacob? He who is the Lord God of his grandfather and his father. The same God. You know, I found out as I was going through a lot of pictures and scanning them, and I found out that I have a grandfather, a a great-grandfather, excuse me, in Maine who was a pastor for many years of a well-known church in Maine. I had no idea that he was in my heritage. Well, this is what's going on here with Jacob. God's saying, I'm the same God who appeared to Abraham, your father Isaac, and now I'm appearing to you to tell you the same things I promised to them, I'm now promising to you, Jacob. So who is he? He's the one who has plans for him, the one who promises to keep him and bless him. Again, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to take these things to heart. God has a plan. He promises many things to us. He will keep his word. He wants to bless our lives. Who is with him? He who will be with him and keep him and bring him back. Did Jacob earn these things? Did Jacob deserve these things? Big capital N-O, not at all. Never. God's sovereign choice of Jacob is a part of his life story. His mysterious ways are not uncertain ways. God knows what he's doing. He's promised these things, and he's telling Jacob now, hey, I am with you. I will keep you. I'll bring you back. I'm going to fulfill through you all the promises I gave to your grandfather, Abraham. His providential grace for Jacob, those mysterious things are not mysterious to God. They're a part of who God is. The, The great mystery of the great grace of a great God, take that to heart, my friends, in all the uncertainties that we're facing right now. So what Jacob called that place, verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He wakes up. Now, can you imagine having this kind of dream? He wakes up while still night, afraid. He is totally totally vulnerable, but safe in God's hands. So there's that 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 experience he's having emotionally, spiritually, and then mentally. This place is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. In other words, he had a visitation and experience in, with God in heaven on earth. He wakes up. This this place, he calls it, he calls it that place, is now become a very special place. In fact, A sacred place for Jacob. And so three things about a certain place. Three things. It's a certain place. Secondly, he calls it this place and that place. (laughs) And then he says it's the house of God and the gate of heaven. I want to look at these just for a little bit to encourage us this morning in the uncertainties of life. Coming to a certain place in the midst of all the uncertainty. Surely the Lord is in this place And I did not know it. Have you had those experiences where all of a sudden you are so aware of the presence of God and the promises of God and the keeping power of God, and you just, in a sense, wake up and go, wow, the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in my life. When I left Salt Lake City for Salt Lake City to pursue a relationship relationship in Virginia, I left Salt Lake to go and pursue that relationship unbeknownst to me, it was a tennis court in Virginia that became one of my Bethel's. One of the places where the house of God, the gate of heaven opened up to me. This is that place for me. This is that place where I had an impersonal encounter with God. And it wasn't like the lights came out and the, it was just in my heart and in my mind. And, and actually at the time, I was a pot, I was smoking pot. And God intervened in that, on that tennis court with a track. And there, everything changed. I did not plan it. God, in fact, I wasn't even pursuing God. At that time, I don't remember having even a consciousness, consciously thinking about God. And in that place in Virginia, my whole pursuit of this relationship, pursuing after partying, absolutely radically changed. I had nowhere to run, but I didn't want to run. God stopped me there. One purpose became my purpose, to turn from doing what was right in my own eyes, to serve God, and to get right with God. Now, I believe there are many little Bethels all along, there have been for me in my life, where God meets me specially, not planned. And he just changes once again the perspective of what's important and what's the place and what's this place and what's the special place. Those things come to bear. Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Now I want to look in John chapter 1 because it's, this is an important passage that connects to this passage in Genesis. So Nathaniel, for Nathanael, what was the Bethel in a sense? It was when he was sitting under a fig tree. So in John chapter 1 verse 44, as Philip Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who is Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can any good thing, I mean, he's cynical, obviously. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Good thing that he did here. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit or in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, this is fascinating to me. Verse 49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king, notice, of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these." Now, notice. And he said to him, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see what? Heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So Jesus, in seeing Nathanael, his testimony is no guile. In other words, people knew right where Nathanael stood. They knew what he believed. And so he says, before when I saw you under the fig tree, a place of repose and meditation, Nathaniel had been thinking long and hard about certain things in his life. And Jesus knew it, and he spoke, I believe, to those meditations. As the Word of God, as we read the Word of God, often this will happen. It totally convinced Nathaniel that Jesus was the Son of God, as his brothers and friends have been telling him. Now it appears to me that Nathaniel had been meditating on this encounter of Jacob at Bethel. Behold, indeed, is an Israelite in whom is no Jacob you could use that word there in whom is no guile no there's no Jacob nathaniel's thinking about jacob he may have even whispered out loud in his mind god are you with me do you really see me god i'm alone here are you right in this place or maybe right in that place god would you really reveal yourself to me and i wonder if that's those kind of thoughts, because I have those in me, and I'm sure that you do also. Are you with me? Do you really see me? And then here comes Philip, brings him to Jesus. And he, Jesus says, "You're going to see greater things. And you think that's great? Wait till you see what's coming. You're going to understand that I am the ladder between heaven and Earth. I am the one who opens the gate of heaven for all those who will come in through me. It was so powerfully personal whatever happened there in his heart, that Nathaniel believed right there on the spot. How fascinating is this, but how incredible is Jesus. He's the latter. He's the one that he's saying to, to Nathaniel, you're gonna see me. Now, we have the same kind of encounters with the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' crucifixion. And, the, and Jesus pulls up alongside them, and they don't know that that's Jesus. And he begins talking to them. It's the same thing that happened to the. After Jesus rose from the dead. And he appeared to his disciples for the third time at the Sea of Tiberias. John chapter 21. And there, Jesus, he's on the shore. They're out fishing because Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, well, we're going with you. They immediately went out, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Now, John 21 tells us. So in the morning, when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but they didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus says to them, children, have you any food? And I think they're frustrated in the boat and say, No. They don't know it's Jesus. Jesus said to them, hey, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast the net, and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Then John, who wrote the gospel, says, then the, one, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now, you can imagine, all night fishing, big thing. And John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And Simon Peter, immediately when he heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for it. He removed it and he plunges, he's swimming to Jesus swimming to him. The other disciples come in a little boat because it wasn't far from land. And they get to land and Jesus begins then working in Peter's heart. Do you love me more than these? Peter said, "You Lord, do you know I love you. He said to him the second time, Lord, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, then feed my sheep, tend my lambs. The third time Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus said, do you love me? Different love word for love. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And there in that place where Peter had been so discouraged, Jesus restored him and saying to him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, take care of those things that I've given to you. And so as the disciples are there, they have no idea it's Jesus. Again, as Saul is riding his donkey or his horse on that road to Damascus, he had no, in fact, he's going to kill Christians. He had no idea that right there, as he's is Jesus to meet him on the road to Damascus. And he met him there, and he changed his life. He turned it upside down, inside out, and right side up again. And Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle, someone used by Jesus. And there's a million and one ways when God appears unexpectedly in our lives. And unlike candid camera, usually these are not caught on camera. Where they're caught is when someone sees what happened in my life. Jesus addresses this in John chapter 3. He says this. Most sure I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now here's it is. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And then he says, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. When we encounter Jesus in our salvation, there's something so changed in our lives that people see the change. They can't tell where it's coming from, but they see, they see the effects of the salvation that God's given to us. So it's, it's tremendous. So a certain place is this place or that place. A certain place is that where the house of God or the gate of heaven Notice verse 18. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put on his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was, had been Luz previously. So note, this place, that place which was a place of no meaning. You look up the word Luz, it it really has no meaning. That's what we can't find the meaning of Luz. So this place of no meaning, as far as Jacob knew at that time, just another place to lay my head down and sleep. But that certain place turned out to be a special place. In fact, it was a sacred place. He sets up a pillar. He anoints that pillar with oil. And he says, this is the place where my life was changed. My life was changed on that tennis court in Virginia. Where I realize God is in this place. I need to respond to God. He's given me this opportunity. Then Jacob made a vow. Notice verse 20. Saying if God will be with me. And keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So was God looking for a vow from Jacob? No. He's not looking for that. Good old Jacob is God's little helper as he thinks he's got to be in charge and in control. This is what I'm going to do if God, he's making a deal with God. It's this deal that he made time and time again throughout his life, as we know it. Now, does God have a problem with Jacob's deal? This is fascinating to me. Does God have a problem with the deal he's making? No, he takes him up on it, which is fantastic. So Jacob's vow to God, this this deal with God, notice, first of all, it's based on the promises of God. If God be with me, if God will keep me, if I come back to my father, God has already promised, this is what I'm going to do. So he's saying, if this happens or since this will happen, then the Lord shall be my God. You know, do you think God's saying, well, thanks, Jacob. I almost thought, whoa, no, that's not what's going on at all. What's happening here is Jacob is making a deal, if you will, as he always did, and such a deal. God's not saying, well, such a deal. I'm relieved, Jacob, that you're going to do this. (laughs) Uh, I was hoping that would happen. Not at all. And I'll tell you in a minute what I believe is going on here. So a certain place is this place and that place. It's the house of God. It's the gate of heaven. Now, when God and Jacob remember this place, notice in chapter 35, verse 1, God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel, which he had promised, go to Bethel, dwell there, and make an altar there to God. Now notice, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. That's the reminder where he appeared to him. Verse, uh, chapter 35, verse 7, he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, or God of the house of God, because there God appeared to him when, when he fled from the face of his brother. We'll get these chapters later on. But the whole point here is what remembr- Jacob's remembering at Bethel why he was there and how he got there. He was running for his life. He, had, he was fearful. He didn't know what was coming up. He was alone. He was afraid. He was weak. He was vulnerable. It's no, I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing when God meet, met him there, and he, he was in so much trouble until God met him, it, you know, it was like having a, a stone for a pillow. The deal, here it is. The deal. I love this, and I hope you take this to heart. It happens Regularly for us as believers. Here's the deal. He's giving God permission. Giving God a sincere go ahead to keep working in his life. To take his life again and work in it. It reminds me of the hymn. Many of you know this. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Is this a prayer of yours? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. And that hymn, which we'll sing in a moment, just captures what I believe goes on in our hearts so many times. We say again, like it says, prone to want another hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Jacob has a lot of things to learn yet. But God's not done. Jacob marked that place and this place. He anointed with oil special to make it a special and sacred place. A reminder of why he was there and how he got there. And God where God met him in his, all of the things that were going on in his life. So that no meaning place, Luz, became the place that he called the house of God, the gate of heaven. What a fantastic thing this is for us to remember again. God met us and he still meets us. And it's as though in those moments we say, God, take my life. Now, I've had those moments when I'm listening to a worship song. And I have to pull my car over and just say, God, you're so good. You're so awesome. I've also had that experience when I was at a printing press, angry out of my mind, frustrated out of my mind. And then I hear this song come on. And it broke me right there. So so many ways that God reminds us again of where he first met us and how, what condition we were in. And there he spoke to us and promised us to be with us and keep us in all the ways that we go. It's this place where God, Jacob gave his life over to God. And we do that often. We come back to Bethel, back to the house of God, back to the gate of heaven, and we realize Jesus is that ladder. Jesus is that connection for me in heaven with God. And he's going to keep me and he's going to do the things he promised for me. You see, to know God is to know a certain place. I would plural a lot. Know certain places. They're they're personal places. They're special places. They're life-changing moments, places. They're sacred to us. It's where we, we were, again, reminded of God meeting us in all of our weakness, all of our vulnerability, all the uncertainties, and promising to you and promising to me through Jesus Christ that we are now heavenly beings and we can have fellowship with God through all the tragedies of life, all the difficulties. And so I've had a lot of those, those special sacred places where God's met me and I've been reminded again. And I think as we gather, and I'm looking forward to gathering to Kent, aren't you? Looking forward to being able to be together. But even as we're doing this in your home, I hope that each Sunday it's another experience you have where God reminds you again through his word, and as we teach the word, as we worship, that he loves you. He saved you in the most desperate places, and maybe it wasn't even much that. But at one point, you came to that place where you realized... Jesus is Messiah. He's Savior. He's the ladder that, that gives us access to heaven itself. And He saved you in your sin. He saved you in an enemy. He saved you when you were running from Him. And He stopped you there and He saved your life. And then from that moment on, like with Jacob, there's a lot of work to do. Would you say amen to that? We should have signs to say, God at work. Be patient. Be patient. I had a dream one time, actually. And in that dream, when I woke up, it was like God lingered. And it's only happened once, Adrian, one time. And I, that morning when I woke up, it was like, wow, that's incredible. Now, I wish I could wake up every morning like that, but I don't. So it's often in crisis that god we have these experiences with God. When, our, when we're most vulnerable, most needed, when pressures and tensions are all over the place and all over our hearts and all over our minds, And we just need a touch again, a reminder again of who Jesus is and how we have relationship with God through him. And he wants to promise us again through the gospel and at the cross that he himself will keep us. You know, it's interesting. It's not only Jacob these things happen to. It's Abraham, Moses, Joseph, David, Daniel, Jonah, Andrew, Peter, Paul, the apostle, and the list goes on, and you're included on that list as I am if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's when that certain place becomes a special place where Jesus takes his place in our hearts as the one who gives us the free access to heaven itself. And in this journey of faith, Jesus is a turning point in any relationship with God. He's the one who is the way, the truth, the life. He's the one who said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is that ladder. He's that connection. The converted Saul of Tarsus, now Paul the apostle, I mentioned him earlier, Galatians 1 15, he said this, looking back, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me, in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Paul, Saul of Tarsus was on that road to kill Christians. Jesus, a right light from heaven came out of him, knocked him off his high horse. Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And there, that that Bethel for Saul, and he often mentions it in the book of Acts. He goes back to it. You know, the Bible says, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And we do not love our lives to death. Three things. the, The blood of the lamb by which we're saved. Our testimony. The testimony of when we met Jesus. And Paul the Apostle in his epistles writes three times at least, here's what happened to me. Back to Bethel with Saul. This is what happened. I was blind and now I see. And that's what Saul said. And again, it reminded me of this passage in Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, where David wrote, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with how many all my ways. For there is not a word of my tongue but behold, Lord, you know it all together. Look, notice this. You have hedged me behind me for and laid your hand upon me. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bring you back to Jacob. Such knowledge is too wonderful, it to is high I cannot attain it, and we would say the same thing. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And I say, Lord, thank you for Bethel. Thank you for those where you stopped me in my sin and you saved my life. And then thank you for all the moments, all the places that have become a special place. And we refer back to it often as we talk about The things that go on. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me a Bethel and many Bethels to follow. The gate of heaven. The house of God. So God is in every place, even when we're not aware of it. God does not get distracted. He's focused perfectly on your steps. Each one of them ordered in his providence and grace and love for you. And so again, 2 Chronicles. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are turned toward him. Do we not serve a wonderful, gracious, good God who meets us and saves us and then begins the work, as with Jacob, we're going to see this. He begins the work, and what's the first thing? He lands him in in his uncle Laban's, and what began as a month turned into 20 years of God working in Jacob's life to bring him back time and time again to Bethel, the house of God, the gate of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, even just going through these scriptures and others with them. Lord, we don't know what's coming up. We don't know what's gonna be happening, but we know you who does. We know you who is never uncertain You have a plan and a purpose. And you're working that out, not only in our individual lives, but, Lord, in the history of the whole world. You created it. You put man on earth. And, Lord, you have been working ever since to bring that time to come where you will return. And, Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name for each and every one of us, that our faith would be anchored more and more in who you are. Faith is the substance hope for the evidence of things not seen. That, Lord, we would in- be incorporated in the hall of faith. And there's great victories and great <laughs> trouble and pain and sorrow. But in mixed with all of that is the fact that, Lord, you will bring us to that desired haven that you have for each and every one of us. And that is to be with you where you are forever and ever. And Lord, I would pray in closing, we pray that there's anyone who doesn't know you. They haven't had that first encounter with you where they hand their lives over to you and surrendering to you, where the spirit comes into their lives and they're born again. And the evidence of what happened is not in seeing the spirit, but in seeing the effects that that salvation bring into their lives. We ask, Lord, if that's you this this morning and you're watching this and you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you. Surrender your life to him by asking forgiveness for your sin. That he would come and cleanse you and wash you because of the cross. He paid the price for your sin. Your crimes against God have been taken care of at the cross. And they receive him and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Forgiving you of your sin. Filling you with the Holy Spirit. And may I say to you, as you do that, as that happens in your heart, your life will never be the same. You will be leaving that special place, that special moment, with God with you, promising to bless you and taking your life on an adventure that's like no other, an adventure of faith in God. So God bless you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. May he pour out of his Holy Spirit on you. May the uncertainties be a place where we're so certain because we know who holds the future. God does. So God bless you.